greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and very special greetings also from Divinity Congregation in Columbus. You know, we in Divinity almost feel as though we have a kind of a vested interest in Emmanuel, or maybe it should be the other way around. For you see, we have a number of people there who once were members of this congregation. And we've been most privileged during this past year to have a special member of Emmanuel with us in the person of our student assistant. But my memory of Emmanuel Church goes back a long time into the past, back to the time when I served my first pastorate just north of here at a, a congregation by the name of Martin Luther in Crawford County, and to the days when I would visit here and worship here with my roommate, who was James Kennel, and still further back to the time when I went to high school in a little town up the road that you may or may not have heard about, even though it's close at hand. It's called Cary, Ohio. So let me say right from the very start that it's a tremendous privilege to be here to worship with you this morning and to tell you also how delighted we were when your pastor extended that invitation to us to share in this wonderful moment in the life of this congregation and of one of its very special sons. I know that ordination can be an overwhelming event in the life of any young man. And I suppose one of the things that makes it seem so overwhelming is when we consider the long line of illustrious predecessors going all the way back to an Abraham and to a Moses and to a Joshua, extending on up through a John the Baptist and a Peter and a Paul and then a Martin Luther right down to our own time, to the very fine pastor of this congregation. That's quite a distinguished list. And yet God ordains you today, Peter Zig, to fulfill exactly the same kind of ministry as these great men. A ministry which is just as important, and certainly we believe will be just as effective. It's going to be your duty to call men back to God, to beseech them in behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God, and when they respond favorably to that, then to equip them for the Christian life and also for the service which God expects from everyone who names him as Lord. God in his marvelous way has certainly led you to this wonderful day. And I venture to say that it's no mere accident at all that so many of the sons of this congregation have entered the ministry. Surely it must be that Emmanuel Church is one that believes deeply in the ministry of God's word and sacraments. You've heard the plaintive plea of our Lord, certainly, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You recognize fully well how much we need men for the ministry. And so today, these people, together with your friends from many other parts of the state, welcome you into the illustrious sons of this congregation in the ministry. And as you assume this office of the ministry, let me point for your strengthening to the implications of the call to serve. Do you realize God's call bestows tremendous honor 
and responsibility and also promise. Joshua had a wonderful call from God too. He was to succeed Moses as leader of the children of Israel. We see after Moses' death, God appeared to him in a miraculous way and reminded him that he was now chosen to lead the people into the promised land. And oh, what a marvelous honor this was because a lot of preparation had gone into this. The people had been waiting a long time for this great moment when God would fulfill a long-expected hope. But with the honor also comes enormous responsibility. For Joshua also had been with these people during their wanderings in the wilderness, and oh, how well he remembered their grumbling and their complaining. Not very far out from Egypt, they began to say, Well, the Lord brought us out here to die. Maybe it would be better if we were back in Egypt after all. And you recall also how they took their jewelry and their, their gold bracelets and how they melted them down and made them into a golden calf and started to worship in an idolatrous way. And so he must have wondered on that moment, would he be able to offer capable leadership in the face of this kind of problem? Would he be able to guide them wisely and firmly in the way that God desired? And then it is that the Lord didn't fail him but gave him a wonderful promise. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be frightened. Neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times within the space of four verses, the Lord repeats these words of encouragement to Joshua. He's reminded that the Lord has called him. And whom the Lord calls need not be afraid, because when the Lord calls, he also gives the equipment and the power and the presence. No wonder he could say then, be not afraid, neither be dismayed. And you too who would serve the Lord in the office of the ministry have a call from God. Having completed the years of seminary work, you've been called to become the pastor of First Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. A tremendous responsibility for it's a quite large congregation. Your position as pastor of that church will be regarded with honor, I'm sure, because you'll notice on your call form that it says, I believe that they mean, that they will love you, they will respect you as their pastor, they will pray for you, and they will accord you the kind of respect which ought to belong to any man of God. But with that honor also goes enormous responsibility. The witness of a personal dedication to Christ and his word must be made. You have to be patient and understanding in dealing with those who are hurting desperately on the inside. A love for your people is an important asset. All of these very vital things for a minister but certainly you've demonstrated that you have these in abundance in your year of divinity. But I think if you're going to keep them and develop them into greater assets than ever, you're going to be driven continually to God's word in order to regain the power that you need. You're going to have to kneel humbly many times and say, Lord, I haven't always been or done everything that I really should have. Forgive me and, and help me, renew me. Send me forward again. 
And you'll be praying not only for yourself, but for those committed to your care. In fact, we could say that the responsibility would be too great for any of us were it not for God's help. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The same promise then that God gave to Joshua meant to be a tremendous encouragement to him when the consciousness of his individual failings would overwhelm him. And let me say to you as a pastor just really beginning to, when you think of only 12 years in the ministry, that there are so many times when you're driven back again and again to God to renew yourself deeply in your commitment to him. Do you know Joshua was just a uh, kind of an ordinary man when you compare him with his predecessor? He really wasn't capable of the great persuasiveness that had been a part of Moses' ministry. You remember how Moses even had to cover his, the, his countenance when he came down from the mountain. So close had he communed with God. And we never see Joshua having to do that. But God would use him for what he was. God would use him in spite of what he was not. And I think it's this that gives all of us mortals today a great deal of confidence. And as we consider the promise, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, this is also for us. In the New Testament, you find marvelous figures by which God wants us to understand the closeness he has with his people. There we're compared to branches on the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ being the vine. Recognizing that as long as we're attached to him, the life-giving power floods into us. We can grow and we can bear fruit. We also have the image that comes from St. Paul of being like stones being built into a living temple of the church. Or again, we think of ourselves in terms of being a family. All of us being related here this morning in a far deeper way than if we had come even from the same womb. For we're the family of God, God's very own people, as Peter puts it, placed here on this earth to perform the great tasks of the kingdom and to proclaim the word of Christ. But you know, of all these figures, I think really the greatest is that one where St. Paul says that Christ is the head and we're like the members of the body. For we know how the head cherishes the members. Why, when a hammer strikes the finger, you know how you jerk it back. It's the head that sends the signal, you see. And so it is that the Lord Jesus Christ knows us in all of our things. Ask Saul, before his name was changed to Paul, Who are you after now? And he answers, Some fishermen from Galilee, some of those Jews who have gone on the wrong way there in Damascus. But then Jesus stops Saul on the road. And does he ask, why are you persecuting those fishermen? Why are you putting those Jews in Damascus in jail? Oh no. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? For you see, when Saul is putting Christians in jail, it's as though he were putting Christ in jail. When he's persecuting Christians, it's as though he's persecuting their Lord. Everything he's doing to them, he is doing to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how close this Lord identifies with his people. 
and how closely he watches over his body with the tenderest care. This is the kind of care and love that every one of us can expect from God and particularly one who is to be one of his pastors. The Lord your God is indeed with you wherever you go. But God's work will never fail. And that's awfully important to know too when we face the future. God's words of assurance to Joshua were meant to remind him that his leadership was a service in God's work. And as he looked to God for help, then that leadership would not fail. Each one of us here has some kind of God-given work to do. Whether we're called to be a pastor or to be a layman in the kingdom of God. Whether we're called as this one is to preach the word of God, to administer the sacraments, to equip the saints. Or whether we've been given an area of life where we're to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. There will be times when it will seem that we surely must fail for there are powerful forces that seem to be arrayed against the church. This seems to be one of those ages when things are so sharply drawn that you either have to stand with him or else you're going to be against him. It's one of those tremendous times in the church when it's important that we know what we believe and where we stand. And the world seems so much to be increasingly turning a deaf ear to God. And of course, sometimes even to his messengers. But the words of Moses certainly seem quite important to us when he reminds us that we're to look to the Lord God for help. And also of the prophet Hosea seeming most apt. In fact, it almost sounds as though he wrote it in our day. He says, there is no faithfulness or kindness and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, killing, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and murder follows murder. Wine and new wine take away their understanding. I suppose some people would be discouraged at this point and say, well, if it's that bad, then perhaps we ought not to go on. But I think it behooves us who know the living God to say, all right, that's the kind of world it is. This only means that we have a greater challenge, a greater task to perform. We simply turn to God again then for renewal and rededication so that we can undertake with a greater vigor the mission that God has given us in this world. All the circumstances of history seem to fit like a giant jigsaw puzzle to serve the good and gracious will of God. And sometimes when we look at our day, we wonder just what are the plans and purposes for our times. But we may be sure that the Lord God has his purpose. The land of Canaan was to be given to his people as God had promised to Abraham and Moses and then to Joshua. And hence Joshua, the great conqueror of Canaan, reminds us of the later one, Jesus, the captain of our salvation. To realize that Joshua really is the Hebrew form of the name that's translated into Greek for Jesus. And thus this Old Testament conqueror was preparing the way for the second Joshua, the great conqueror of sin and death. But all of it a part of God's magnificent plan for the world. Joshua's leadership of the Israelites into Canaan then was indeed God's work. 
and because it was God's work, it would not fail. I think it's absolutely incredible what God can do in a congregation with a pastor who is dedicated to God. Let me just give you an example of this. Is it a strong congregation, asked the man, regarding a certain group of worshipers? Oh, yes, was the reply. Well, how many members are there? Oh, 76. So few. Well, are they very wealthy then? No, came the answer. Well, then they must be quite prominent and important people. Oh, no, no, they're really not. How then can you say that it's a strong church? Because, said the man, they're sincere and devoted to their Lord. They're at peace. They love each other. And they strive together to do the Lord's work. Well, there's the secret, isn't it? It's not who you are that counts, but whose. It isn't how much talent you possess, though you're so well endowed, but rather how you use it for your Lord. It isn't how much sophistication you have absorbed, but how much your life is caught up with Jesus Christ that counts. A congregation of people that has heard the Lord's claim on them and accepted his assignment of responsibility for the real mission of the church is always strong, whether it has 12 or 800 members. No wonder then we can with great confidence repeat to you the words of the Lord today and know that they apply to you. He says, be strong and of good courage. I know that these words in and of themselves carry very little assurance. It would be mere mockery to tell a man not to be afraid unless you can show him reason why he need not be. And so the power of these words rests upon your faith in the steadfast love of God who has given you assurance in Jesus Christ. He's the one who promises his presence and his help to those who labor in the Lord. And thus courage and strength that do not rest on Christ's presence can only be audacity in disguise and are bound to fail. But when they rest upon him, when you can say, I put my trust in him, then know his answer, for it's the most sure thing in the world. He says, Peter Zeg, and also people of God, I will not fail you. I will never forsake you. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.